0: As we open God's Word together, I would love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And last week we looked at the beginning part of Matthew chapter 9. And in Matthew chapter 9, we see the ministry of the gospel. The ministry of the good news about Jesus Christ. And so at the beginning of this, Jesus took a paralytic and healed him. His friends brought him to Jesus and Jesus told this young man, Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. I see that you have this need of your sins being forgiven and they are. And the the Pharisees and religious leaders looked at him and went, What? You can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. And and Jesus' response to them was, to demonstrate that I have the authority to forgive sin, get up and walk. And the paralytic stood up and he walked. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry here in Matthew chapter 9 and it continues from there. He calls Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, follow me and Matthew follows him and they have a party at Matthew's house and lots of people are there and all kinds of sinners are around. I mean, other tax collectors and sinners of various kinds and shades and uh, those the, the pe- distasteful people you just don't want to be around. And when the religious leaders heard about this and saw what was going on, uh, they questioned his disciples and said, doesn't your teacher know? Why is he hanging out with those people? And we talked about that last week, that Jesus' response was, it's not the sick who need a physician, uh, sorry, it's not the well who need a ph- physician, but the sick do. I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call the sinners to repentance. And then we see his ministry continue on from there. They have questions for him about fasting and he is teaching them about the ways of God and who God is. And then a girl is restored to life and a woman who has been uh, dealing with an issue for a long time is healed. And then two blind men are healed and are given sight and able to see. And then a mute man is uh given his voice and able to speak again. And all of this is happening as Jesus is is traveling around. And now we get to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. We're given, uh, in verse 35 here, the scope or the location of Jesus' ministry. As Jesus is healing people, as Jesus is is resurrecting people, as Jesus is teaching people, we see the scope of His ministry. And Jesus, it says in verse 35, went throughout all the cities and villages. Throughout all the cities and villages. All the, the big metropolises and all of the little towns. There wasn't a place that Jesus didn't go. He went everywhere. There wasn't any place that Jesus avoided going. There was no place that did not need His ministry. Jesus went everywhere. As He was traveling about, He went into the cities and He talked and preached and and, and taught in the synagogues. And then He would be out on the countryside in some rural road. And everywhere people were bringing the sick to Him. People were bringing those who were afflicted, those who had great need. And Jesus went all throughout. And it says that as He was traveling around throughout all the cities and villages, He was teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And what I see here is are the three aspects of Jesus' ministry. He was teaching, he was proclaiming, and he was healing. That's what he was doing. And we, we even if you go back and read, we're not going to do that, but if you go back and read just even through chapter 9, you see him doing all of those things. Teaching, proclaiming, and healing. He, he's, he's teaching. He's explaining to people about who God is. Helping them refine their understanding about that. Because they're confused, right? Even the religious leaders are coming to him and going, wait, how come your disciples don't fast when everybody else does? Hang on, how come you're hanging out with those sick people like that? And Jesus says, oh, go and learn. What does this mean? And he turns them back to the scriptures. What what does it mean that I desire mercy and not sacrifice? What does that mean? And he's helping to explain to them. And he's teaching them. And I think that Jesus is calling us into that same ministry. And then some of you are going, oh, hang on, not me. Maybe he's calling you into that ministry. Maybe God's gifted you as a teacher. But I, I am not a teacher. That's not my strong suit. And I, I would put forward to you that God doesn't care. God does not care if that is your gifting or strong suit. You are called to the ministry of teaching, but it doesn't have to be intimidating, right? I'm not going to just take you and say, okay, and now you have to teach a Sunday school class. I'm going to have you teach a Sunday school class on eschatology, and you're going to go, oh, wait, hey, God, time out. That's intimidating, But when you think of teaching as explaining who God is, right? it's just explaining what you know and who you know God to be. Bringing people back to the scriptures so that they can refine their understandings and their misconceptions about who God is. We teach all the time. We do all kinds of teaching about things that we know. Right? You don't think of it as teaching often. But you teach people all the time, I'm sure. We get together and we talk and there, there's something that you're interested in. Right? What, a, a hobby, perhaps. Last week I used an illustration about my, my cousin and photography. He's really into photography. I'm not into photography. But when I talk with him, He explains why it's important to him. He explains different aspects of photography and why this lens is better than that lens. And he's teaching me. Now, most of the time, I would look at my cousin and I would go, he's not a gifted teacher. But when it comes to this area of passion for him, where he's just explaining the things that I don't know about cameras, it's easy. He doesn't even think about it as teaching. He's just explaining stuff to me. And that's what teaching is. It's just explaining stuff that people don't understand or are confused about. Jesus is traveling throughout all the cities and all of the villages and he's teaching in their synagogues and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God. As he's walking around and he he sees people, he's just going, you have to know. You have to know. God's kingdom has come. Repent and believe in the kingdom of God. This is good news for you. This is good news for you. And, and some of us, and I'll put myself in this camp, have traditionally said, you know, I am not an evangelist. I know some good evangelists, and that's not me. Right? When, growing up, I was a teacher. I, lo- I was the oldest kid in my family, and I was just a natural born teacher. It helps to know everything, and I just happened to. <laughs> I'm getting over that. But I was not an evangelist. I've seen evangelists. They can go and they can talk to anybody at any time about anything and suddenly they're talking about Jesus and how the person that they're talking to needs to believe and repent. And I watch them do that and think, that is flat amazing. And I can't do that. That's not who I am. I I wasn't wired that way. But when we think about it in a not intimidating way, okay, I want to take, just like I took teaching and said it doesn't have to be intimidating, it's just explaining. I want to do the same thing with evangelism. Evangelism is just talking about proclaiming good news. That's evangelizing. Okay, I, I think that when we use just the label, even evangelism, evangelizing, then suddenly we're, oh no, that's not something I do, uh-uh. <laughs> so let's take away the label. Talking about good news. That's what we're doing. Proclaim the gospel. Talk about good news tell people about why Jesus is good news for them. Why is Jesus good news for them? Maybe you know. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you're wondering if Jesus is good news for you. And then the place to start is in prayer. God, would you show me why Jesus is good news for me? Would you show me why Jesus is good news for me? It's a great place to start. And then as you're talking with people, you can begin to see things in them and you can ask, God, why does, why do they need Jesus? Why is Jesus good news for them? Because He is. For a variety of reasons. I mean, we can go back to the very basics and say, we are all sinners in need of grace. We all need the sacrifice of Jesus because none of us is righteous, not even one. None of us can stand before a holy God without a Savior intervening. We we can do that in a broad way, but to most people, when you just come and say, you need a Savior because you are not righteous and you can't stand before a holy God in the way that you are, and so you need to believe the good news that Jesus died for you, and they're going, I don't feel that at all. I just don't feel that at all. Oh. Oh. Well, I could work really hard to persuade you that this theological truth is good news for you, or I can just begin to listen and understand you and get to know who you are. And what I find as I'm talking with people and just listening and understanding who they are, I begin to hear about what their pains are. Where are, the, where are the trouble spots for them? And you see, that's what Jesus is doing. Oh yeah, Jesus is traveling around and He's teaching in the synagogues and He's proclaiming the gospel, but think about what He's doing. He's just answering the questions that people have when he, they come to Him. As He begins to care about people and love people and receive people who are coming to Him, He just blesses them. And people begin to hear, hey, there's a guy that he heals stuff. Hey, there's a guy, he he knows you. Hey, there's this guy. you got to talk to him. Because he's going to reveal stuff that you just never knew anybody could explain that. And when I'm talking with people and I'm listening, really listening. Not the thinking of what I'm going to say next, but just the really listening and seeking to understand. What I find is that people begin to open up because you actually care. And you begin to hear things that you didn't hear before. You begin to hear trouble with work, with coworkers, with parents, with children, with spouses, with finances. With jobs, and you can begin to pray. God, would you reveal to them why Jesus is good news for that? Their marriage is so broken. God, would you show them how Jesus is good news in their broken marriage? Would you show them about compassion? Would you show them about love? About mercy and about grace? About faithfulness and endurance? Would you show them who you are in this? And I find that when we're talking with people and we're talking with God so we're listening and we're talking with God and we're bringing these things before him that suddenly it's not as hard to talk about good news hey I have good news for you Jesus can help with this ultimately you have a bigger need you're divided from a holy God but Jesus can help with this when He helps with this. When He helps you with all of your sin, it will transform you. And when His Holy Spirit fills you, you will be different. It doesn't happen all at once, but you will begin to be different. You'll begin to engage your spouse in a different way. You'll begin to see things in a different way. You'll be able to love in a whole new way. Because Jesus is good news for you. And what Jesus is doing is he's going around and he's proclaiming the good news about the kingdom. And he's healing every disease and every affliction. He's healing every disease and every affliction. Now, as I look at this, just at first glance, I go, okay, there wasn't a city or a village that he missed because he went throughout all the cities and all the villages and he healed all the sicknesses and all the diseases. So does this mean, if I'm just adding this up, that when Jesus was done walking through this area, there was not a single person who was sick or afflicted at all? And I don't think that's what he was saying here. I think what this is saying is that Jesus didn't miss anything. He was going through all of these different places and He didn't avoid and He didn't miss. And all of the people that were coming to Him, Jesus healed. There wasn't anything that Jesus wasn't able to respond to. There wasn't anything that Jesus wasn't able to take care of. All of the sick all of the afflicted who came to Him, all of the sinners who came to Him, He responded to them and He took care of their needs. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. Because there's some big needs. There there were people who couldn't walk. There were people who couldn't see. There were people who couldn't speak. There were people who were demon-possessed. There were people who were broken. And Jesus comes to them and He takes care of all of it. Transforms them. That's good news. Here's what I find though. That while there are these three aspects of Jesus' ministry, that while He is walking through all of the cities and all of the villages and He is teaching and He is proclaiming and He is healing, that His followers now, that's us, tend to pick one. You know, I follow Jesus and I think it's really important that everybody know all the right answers about God. I'm going to teach them to know all the right answers about God. And they focus on one thing. And they then start hanging around with other people who are like-minded. Hey, You know what I think is the most important thing? I think it's the most important thing that everybody know exactly who God is, and so I'm going to teach them. Really? Me too! I also think that's the most important thing. That's great. You want to hang out? Yeah. We should have a Bible study about how this is the most important thing, to teach people about who God is. Yeah, that's a great idea. Maybe we can find some other people who are also interested in this thing. And we get all these people together, and pretty soon you have these pockets of teachers. They love to study and they love to teach and they love to debate and, and figure it all out and get mastery over it and understand and then explain it to other people and tell them. And they're super passionate about it and they're wonderful people who are doing great work, but they're all concentrated in one space. What's the deal with that? And then you have these evangelists. Do the same thing. They walk in to a group of teachers and they go, what in the world? What are you doing? We're teaching. Isn't it great? No. You're teaching each other. There's all kinds of people out there that just need the very basics. Let's go out and get the very basics. And the teacher's going, no, 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 no. I'm not gifted that way. God hasn't wired me that way. We're going to hang out over here. We've got the teacher club. The evangelist goes, forget you. I'm going to go find some people who are passionate about the people out there. And the evangelist starts walking around and he starts evangelizing people out there. And he bumps into somebody else and goes, what are you doing? I'm evangelizing the people out there. Hey, me too. Hey, you want to get together? Yeah. And pretty soon you've got this whole group of evangelists. And they make the evangelist club. And they're doing great evangelism stuff. And the teachers are doing great teaching stuff. And they're over here as though this is two different things. That God somehow went, you know, I think that what I want is for just all of the teachers to teach themselves over here and all of the uh, evangelists to evangelize over there. But I don't want those guys to get together. I don't think God thought that. And then you have the healers. Right? The people who see the, the afflictions and see the pain and the sickness and they go, we have to do something about this. God cares and loves. And when Jesus came, He hung out with all the broken people and He healed them and we have to do whatever we can to serve and support and care for those who are sick and afflicted. And they talk to the teachers and they go, hey teachers, we got this thing, we gotta do that. We have got to help all these people. The teachers go, you know what? I, I think that's a very good thing to do. But what really is important is that we fully understand God and we're too busy working on that. And so they go over to the evangelist and they go, hey, evangelist, we really need to love on these people and serve them and help them. And the evangelists go, yeah, that's great. They do need that kind of stuff. But what they really need is they need to know that they're sinners and that God needs to save them. And so, finally, the the healer kinds of people, they go, okay, forget you guys, forget you guys, we're just going to make our own club. This is the thing that's most important. We're just going to really focus on this. And we're going to serve and we're going to care for and we're going to love. Okay, but where does the gospel come in? Yeah, there's other people that will deal with the gospel stuff. We just really have to focus on that. But what about understanding who God is? Yeah, no, there's other people that are going to do But we really have to focus on just the serving and the loving. And so what I have observed, as you look from church to church and congregation to congregation, what you find is that some congregations are really great about the study and the learning and the teaching. And some congregations are really great about the evangelizing. And some congregations are really great about the serving and the loving. But what I would love to see is for the teachers to engage as evangelists and lovers. And the evangelists to engage in the teaching and the loving. And for the healers... To not only love, but also to engage in the evangelizing and the teaching. And that they're not all wired the same way, which is why they should really all be in one place, driving each other crazy because of their various priorities. But also helping one another, embracing one another. And saying, I'm so glad that you're here because I'm not wired like you and I can't do that stuff. And the other person's going, and I'm so glad that you're here because I can't do that stuff like you can. But we can both help each other do this really well. And so when Jesus calls Matthew and he calls the disciples and he says, follow me. And then he begins demonstrating this is what life looks like now. Here's how you do life. You teach and you proclaim and you heal. And the disciples followed Him and began to to observe these things and go, that's amazing! How does He do that? And Jesus taught them and was so patient with them as they got it wrong, as they didn't get it, How many times does Jesus go, Guys! Come on! Do you still not get it? Okay. I'll explain it again. If you take the square root, he goes through and he just explains it again and again and again and again and again. And, again. and he sends them out in pairs to practice. And they come back and they're like, Jesus, you wouldn't believe what happened to Jesus. good. going, yeah, I've been showing you. I've been telling you. So that the, by the time Jesus dies and rises again from the dead and ascends into heaven, his disciples are commissioned to go out and carry on this work. It is Jesus' work being carried out, carried on by His disciples who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The three aspects of this are the teaching and the proclaiming and the healing. But why does Jesus do that? Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Here's what I have observed in myself. Okay, I'll just turn it right on me. There are times that I don't think I really need to teach. There are times that I don't really think I need to proclaim the good news or talk about the good news. There are times that I don't feel like I really need to love or heal or support or encourage. And the reason that that happens is because I am not going out like Jesus did through all the cities and all the villages. I'm at home surviving. And when I'm at home surviving... I find that I'm overwhelmed by the amount of work there is to do in my house. I have five children, and entropy happens. Entropy is the um, propensity of all things to devolve. And when you have five children, entropy happens quickly. I've heard that distressed furniture is in right now, and I'm very grateful. All of our furniture is distressed. If you would like to have distressed furniture, you can drop it off at my place for a couple of hours and pick it up again. It'll be good as distressed. But I get overwhelmed by the work of my own house. The energy that my wife and I are putting forward to fight entropy, to reach a place of stasis that we would like to see, right? With each child, our standards of living have lowered. I don't think the house needs to be quite as clean as we thought it did because we can't put in that much energy anymore. And so while we're stuck at home, we're just trying to survive and put all of our energy there. When I get out just a little bit, I begin to see the need somewhere else. And that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was not sitting at home fighting entropy. Jesus was out and he was seeing people and moved by compassion. He taught and He proclaimed and He healed. Because when He saw people, He went, Oh, you are so hurting and harassed. You are in so much pain and there is no shepherd. There's no one caring for you. There's no one watching out for you. There's no one supporting you. There's no one healing you. There's no one explaining to you. There's no one helping you change your perspective or understand what God might be doing in the situation. There's nobody here for you at all. You've got no support. And as Jesus is walking around the countryside and through the cities and He's seeing all of these people, He is overwhelmed. He is moved with compassion. And Jesus, as the Son of God, has the ability to heal every sickness and every affliction. Every disease and every affliction. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And when we spend time with people, not, not, not bump into people, spend time with people, we begin to see that they are harassed and helpless. Broken. Hurting. Not every single person you bump into. But there are a lot of people dealing with a lot of things. The problem is we only dip our toe in instead of waiting right in. We come by people and we sort of dip our toe in. We, we see somebody at the checkout stand and we hi, bye, have a nice day. We, we tend to stay toward home, stay in our little groups with our family, with the, with the close friends, the people that we really know and trust and just sort of pass by everybody else. But when we slow down and we listen and we engage, what we find is that they're there. This, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let me tell you, you don't have to be that up close before you begin to see it. It's remarkable, really, how little of a touch it takes before you begin to see things. How little interest you have to show in somebody, how little care and compassion you have to demonstrate before they begin to tell you about stuff. The stuff that overwhelms them, the stuff that's hurting them, the stuff that's on their mind right now, the stuff that's weighing them down that they don't have somebody to engage with and share with. It just doesn't take that much. But we rarely get past that thin shell of pleasantries. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Hey, me too. Great. See you at the next function. Whether that function is a work party, or something at school, or some sort of club, or something. It just, boom! Everybody managed to smile, or at least you're able to uh, not frown enough that somebody would engage. But just a little bit. He's moved with compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciple, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. At first, we don't engage. We're all consumed enough with our own stuff that we don't see the needs of the other people. And once you begin to dip your toe in the water and then step in and then wade in just a little bit, we're not even up to the knees yet. We're just over the ankles. We're just wading in a little bit. And you begin to see the need and it is overwhelming the amount of need. There are so many people with so many hurts I'm, I'm a little bit engaged in a couple of places. My, my kids are in activities. One, uh, plays cello. Um, three of them are in school. And so I'm engaged a little bit at the school, in the PTA. I'm engaged a little bit with, with people so that, uh, yesterday there were recitals here and I was spending time here in this room with multiple families that go to my school or go to the music studio and I'm engaged with these people and I'm talking with these people and I'm seeing just a little snippet. I'm not talking about I have deep relationship. We are not besties. But a little bit. And after one conversation, I went home and I I, I told my wife, I said, um, did you know that this particular family, they're not Christians? And Teresa said to, to me, no, I, I didn't know that. I said, yeah, we w- were talking and I, I had thought I remembered them going to this other church and en- engaged there, but uh, apparently they, they don't believe and she said, well, how, how could we engage with them a little bit more? I said, I don't know, because their kids' ages don't overlap with our kids' ages. And they've got a lot of friends, and so I, I don't know how we could engage with them more. I had another son who was at a birthday party yesterday with for uh, some kids in his class, and I'm there, and I'm seeing all of these kids from this class. Now, I, I know most of their names and I think I've said hi to a few of them. And I'm standing around with a couple of parents and we're waiting for our kids to come out of laser tag. And I'm talking with them and I, I'm, I'm just seeing, man, I really need to spend more time getting to know these parents. And I'm talking with one parent because uh, she has some kids at the middle school and my oldest son next year is going to be at the middle school. And we're talking about that. We're talking about some of the challenges of middle school and some of the difficulties her daughters have had there. And I'm thinking, man, how how can I make it so that I have more time to to engage and, and help and talk? And we're talking about the span of about three hours in this building and right down the street. And I came home, having studied this passage and been thinking about this passage this week, I came home going, God, the need is so great! There is so much need, and I can't do it. I cannot engage with all of these people. I can't even know all of their needs, let alone help them. God, please, send more people. This family that I don't know how to engage with, can you make a way so that we can engage with them? Or would you bring somebody else that can? Maybe somebody that their life has more overlap with them than our life does. We, we just have a little bit of overlap. Lord, can you bring somebody that just will love on them that has a lot of overlap? And if you're not seeing that need, if you're not feeling a sense of desperation about the overwhelming need to proclaim the gospel and show the love of Christ to people, I think it's because you're distant and disengaged. Maybe on purpose or maybe on accident, but the need is there, and it's huge. I, I was at a, a function a while back, and um, as always happens, uh, the time for cleanup was approaching, and everybody disappeared. And, and I was talking with one friend that I know uh, particularly well, and so I was feeling a little bit brazen, and I said, uh, you're not going to stay for cleanup? And he goes, oh, no, uh-uh. No, we should have been on the road already. I went, you're, you came planning not to help. You came planning. You put your, you had an obligation that you had to go to. You planned not to help. This in contrast to another friend who came up uh, beforehand and, and said, I'm, I'm going to have to leave early, but I don't want to leave everything for you. What can I do in advance? Thank you for people like that. Who see the need and say, it's inconvenient for me and I don't know how I can help, but I want to help at least some. I want to engage at least some, planning to be helpful. Planning to be helpful. If you are are not engaged in, in some way, loving on, sacrificing for, supporting, helping people who are broken and in need, in some way, in the helper Healer category. It's time to find a place to engage. Because the need is there. And when you spend time in that environment and you're paying any attention, the opportunity to evangelize and talk about the good news of Jesus will come up very quickly. I know because I've spent time with some of you and we've talked about this very thing. We've talked about how do we engage our coworkers. That's the first step, right? How do I engage my co? How do I even talk with them? And we've talked about that. <laughs> Spent a bit of time with some of you talking about how how do I engage my coworkers. And then the very next thing, it's amazing. But this is how it works. You spend just a little bit of time engaging your coworkers and developing any kind of relationship. And very quickly, the next question is, okay, they've got a lot of need. How do, how does Jesus help them? How can I bring good news to them because they really need some good news? And so we talk about that. How do you do that? And then the very next thing that com- comes up is, okay, they are really confused about who God is. Can can we? How can I help them understand who God is? And we begin digging through the scriptures, and looking through at who is God, what is God like, what is He not like, how does He for, differ from the God of the Quran, how does He differ from uh, the the God of the Baha'i, how does He differ from all of these other things? Right? How how do does He? How is our God different? And how does that bring good news? And you just move really quickly through this stuff. And some of you are going, "That I don't. I don't even. I don't want to do that. I don't. I don't want. To. That sounds like a lot of work. I don't feel prepared or equipped for that at all. And that's okay. Totally okay. What's the worst thing you can do? Or what's the worst thing that could happen? You love on somebody and you do it wrong. That's not that big of a risk. It's just not that, you, you love on somebody and they see that you care about them and they go, you know, that's just not my love language. I, I appreciate that you tried to help, but it, it just, it, it really wasn't what I needed. That's the worst thing that could happen. That's just not that big of a risk. But, for those who are engaged, the need is overwhelming. The need is overwhelming. And so we have to pray desperately, God, would you send more workers Would You equip me and enable me and help me and fill me with Your Holy Spirit to do this work that I am not cut out for and that I cannot handle on my own? God, would You help me do this? And would You send more people to help? Because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful. We think about all of the work that it takes to do all of the planting and all of the weeding and all of the watering and all of the work that goes into the preparation for the harvest and all then all of the have you ever done a harvest? I did a half day's work of harvesting hay. It's not entirely fair. Somebody else had already gone through and baled it all. All I did was pick it up and throw it onto the truck for a half a day. Whew. That's a lot of work. I'm really glad I don't live in eastern Washington. Or I might have to do real work a lot more. I was wishing for more workers, and there were like five of us in a small field. It only took us a half a day. When Teresa and I in the summertime go out berry picking, I am so grateful that my kids are starting to get a little bit older now. Because a few years ago, we go through a lot of berries. We froze, I think, 80 pounds of blueberries last year. That doesn't count blackberries and strawberries, just blueberries. It takes a lot of work to pick 80 pounds of blueberries. It takes extra work if you're fighting the entropy of the children (laughs) through the blueberry fields. God, please send more laborers Because there's plenty to harvest, there's lots of blueberries here, but we need more workers and less spillers. (laughs) The harvest is plentiful. And so why is ours pathetic? The harvest is plentiful. Pray that God would send workers into the harvest. I um, last week gave you paper and so uh this week I thought I'd give you plastic. Last week I gave you paper if you didn't get it you weren't here last week. Uh there is still the new uh next door forums. The the papers are out there on the uh entry table and go to the, the forums. It will be so encouraging to you to talk with other people about how do you engage, about how do you explain the gospel or help people understand why Jesus is good news for them, and then how do you teach and, and just really dealing with real stuff. Okay, so, so go to that. Um, but now I want to give you plastic. And so I'm going to pass this around. And this is Starbucks cards. okay. I'm super serious about when we say we want to engage those disconnected from God so they delight in Him through Jesus. I'm super, super passionate about that. I want you guys to do that. And so in order to encourage and enable and equip you to do that, I'm going to give you a conversation starter. You're going to have their coffee on the church. You just invite somebody to coffee. And you sit down and their coffee is on the church. You have to pay for your own, but their coffee is on the church. If their coffee was cheap, you might get to take them twice. Okay? But that's what these are for. I'm going to pass them around. And I want everybody to take one. And then um, invite somebody out to coffee. And you can talk with them and see where that goes. I'm praying that God will bless those conversations. But let's now pray to the Lord of the harvest. Our Father in heaven, we are so in need of your help because we do not feel able to handle this task on our own. Lord, I believe that there is no one and nothing greater than you in all of creation, in all of the universe. And amazingly, you being above and beyond all things have so loved us that you have invited us into relationship with yourself and enabled us by giving us the gift of your Son. And so Lord, now we ask, would you help us to draw others into that same relationship that they also might delight in you? And would you send more and more people to demonstrate, express, proclaim, and teach the love of Christ. And we ask for this in His name. Amen.